Oh, shit. Oh, Mitch, <laughs> it's the coin toss. Oh, Mitch. Oh, Mitch. Mitch fell down the stairs, and uh, he found himself in State College. Hi, Mitch. We know you're listening to us, hopefully from the living world and not the afterlife. But I'm going to step in for Mitch today, and I'm going to ask the same questions Mitch would have asked if he was here. Tarek, heads or tails? Tails, always. Always tails. Let's see here. And would you believe it? It was heads. Just so you can oh, know. Oh, man. Wrong again. That's absurd. It's every, that is absurd. Literally every time it's heads. I don't know why you keep picking it. So, Trey. <laughs> using double, you're using a, 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 a rigged coin. Look at the coin. Look, that's heads and also heads. That's a, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Trey, you get to uh, pick. I'm going to give you a question, and you get to pick which side you, you want to defend. Trey, here is the coin toss question for today. Which is more likely... Aaron Rodgers being the quarterback for Green Bay or being the host of Jeopardy in 2021? Pick a side and go. Oh, man. So he's definitely leaving Green Bay. And uh, so I'll take Jeopardy. And uh, I mean, he was telling free agents apparently in the offseason that uh, they shouldn't sign in Green Bay because he wasn't going to be there or, you know, at least giving him a heads up that that was what his plan was. So the fact that he's threatening to retire, that he's thinking about Green Bay, that he really or that he, he's. Thinking about Jeopardy that he really wants it that bad. Uh, I don't think he's coming back to Green Bay. So Alex Trebek Jr. He was an excellent host as well. I think he'd be great for Jeopardy. Yeah, he hit his stride after a couple of days. All right, Tarek, defend it. Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers is QB. Why is he going to stick around? Well, I'll take this quarterback is staying in Green Bay for 1,000, Alex. And that's because Aaron Rodgers gets what he wants. So what's going to happen is Brian Gutekunst is going to get shit-canned um, by whoever owns the team there. I'm, I'm told that it's the season ticket holders. Uh, I think we know a season ticket holder, so I'm going to call up my friend Zach, and I'm going to tell him to fire Brian, Brian Gutekunst. And yeah, and then Aaron Rodgers is going to stay because that's what he wants, and um, he's going to be a quarterback one for Dynasty. Well, I think all of us uh, fantasy football fans would uh, w- want to agree with you, but all of us other Jeopardy fans, well, I think we're getting LeVar Burton if Aaron Rodgers doesn't come around. So go to hell, Aaron Rodgers. We want LeVar Burton. Hell yeah. The people have spoken. <laughs> I want to ride that rainbow. <laughs> The fuck is going on, everyone? Welcome into the Long Game Dynasty Podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion about Dynasty fantasy football. I'm your host, Tarek Angry T. Benshuia. With me, not as always, is Jonathan Alexander and Trey Cryan. As John mentioned in the open, uh, we are without Mitch Yates today, who is in State College, Pennsylvania. We will see Mitch next week. But for today, we've got some business to take care of. So, Trey, what's going on, man? Yeah, I mean, the big news is the uh, the draft happened. So it's time for us to break this down and tell you who we like, who we don't, uh, you know, which landing spots broke our hearts. <laughs> Rashad Bateman in Baltimore, uh, probably top of the list there. And uh, yeah, let's get into it. Indeed. Uh, it is definitely nice to know these landing spots now. Um 
I think overall I was a little bit uh, deflated by the end of the NFL draft. I don't know if that was just because I was tired or if uh, this class is really as thin as it's looking like, at least compared to last year. But John, how are you, man? What do you think? Well, I, I never had to Wikipedia so many player names in my entire life after the second or third round. Like, who are these guys? I, 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 I thought we were prepared. I honestly did. I really thought we were prepared too. We talked about a lot of receivers in the last couple of weeks and some of these guys that went in the second and third rounds, like we, you know, no matter how many mocks we looked at, I don't think we would have called uh, all these names. So yeah. Well, wouldn't, wouldn't you know it guys, it turns out we don't know shit. Yeah. So, uh, we're going to talk about, um, these wide receivers that landed. So, uh, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to kind of have a two week uh, reaction series about uh, what happened in the NFL draft. And we're devoting a whole episode to the wide receivers because uh, that's the deepest position. And that's the position that has the most names to talk about. And then next week we will loop back around, talk about the running backs, the quarterbacks and the tight ends, because uh, I think for uh, dynasty fantasy football's purposes, we can kind of fit all three of those positions into one episode. But for today, we're jumping in to these receivers. We're probably going to get to about 15 to 20 names. Uh, so let's jump right in and we will go down the order that they were drafted. So at the fifth pick overall, what many people predicted would happen ended up happening. And that is the Cincinnati Bengals paired Jamar Chase from LSU with his former Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, Joe Burrow. A lot of us were hoping that they would go offensive line here with Penny Sewell, but they decided to go with uh, the the really good receiver. John, um, how did you feel about this move? How are you evaluating Jamar Chase as a Bengal? Well, it's it's hard to not be excited about Jamar Chase. Uh, I mean, how many times in your dynasty career do you get to have the opportunity to draft a legitimate wide receiver one? It doesn't come around every single year, uh, but... I still think they did the wrong thing. I, we mentioned it last week. The the right play was to take O line, take Sewell, take a running, uh, take a wide receiver later. Uh, but I still love it for Jamar Chase. I think he's going to be the alpha out there. Uh, maybe not right at the start, but eventually he's the clear number one there. Uh, but we, I think it's fair based on Joe Burrow's numbers from last year to think that he can support three wide receivers. I've pushed Higgins down in my ranks. I had him in the top 10. I've got him closer to 17 or 18 now. Uh, but I still got Boyd as a late wide receiver two, early wide receiver three. I think he can support all three of these guys. So if he can stay alive, I think that uh, I think it's good news for all three of these w wide receivers. Yeah. So, John, I, I definitely think Jamar Chase is the day one number one receiver in Cincinnati. So uh, he's going to come in and I think Boyd and Higgins are just going to be amazed at how good this guy is. So we've already talked about all the reasons why he should be, you know, the number one pick in your rookie draft. But uh, on top of that, uh, yeah, I mean, he definitely knocks down some of the targets that would have been going to Higgins and Boyd. So, yeah, I mean, adjust your ranks accordingly. Uh, you know, based on some of that limited uh, amount of market share to go around in Cincinnati. And and to your point about supporting three receivers, I feel like the model in uh, Cincinnati is based on what, you know, worked in LA a couple of years ago with the Rams and the Sean McVay offense, right? It's the same offense coordinators, similar system, right? So we've seen three receivers be productive for fantasy in that system before. 
Uh, Joe Burrow is probably already a much better quarterback than Jared Goff was at the time. Uh, so I think you're you're right on that three receivers can be productive in this offense. Yeah, all of us have been pretty aggressive on Jamar Chase uh, in the last couple of months leading up to the draft. Um, so we all had him kind of as a low end wide receiver one. And after the draft here, we've all got him uh, at wide receiver 10, with the exception of Mitch, who has him at wide receiver nine. And uh, yeah, before the NFL draft, I had Jamar Chase at wide receiver 11 in my overall ranks, and I had T Higgins at wide receiver 10. So because I agree with y'all that Jamar Chase enters the offense as the alpha number one receiver, I moved Jamar Chase in a T Higgins slot and I bumped T Higgins down to wide receiver 15. But the difference is like wide receiver 10 to wide receiver 15 isn't, doesn't seem like that big of a slide, but basically what happened is he, T Higgins went from being kind of a tier two receiver to being more of a tier three receiver. So he's kind of mired in the range between wide receiver 12 and wide receiver 20. So kind of in that Chris Godwin, Allen Robinson, Keenan Allen range. So in addition to him moving down a couple spots, he moved down a tier for me. That being said, I am still high on T Higgins uh, in the leagues in which I have T Higgins. I'm not looking to sell him. And in the leagues in that I don't have T Higgins, I'll be putting out feelers there, right? Yeah, for sure. I think he's still a strong buy. I think he's already got the familiarity with Burrow uh, and he's still in line to have an excellent season, assuming Burrow is healthy. But here's here's the question that I can't figure out and I want you all to help me is like, we've all got Jamar Chase as a clear wide receiver one in Dynasty, but we seem to be the minority in that regard. A lot of folks have him closer to like 15 through 20. Why do you, why do you think that is? Like, what is it about Jamar Chase that people aren't sure? Like, it's, it's pretty clear to me he's gonna be a Dynasty wide receiver one. What is it that people are apprehensive about? Yeah, John, I'm just guessing here, but I, you know, Nikhil Harry was only two years ago and yeah. he, he was not the prospect that Jamar Chase was, but he was the consensus number one wide receiver in that class and burned a lot of people who picked him in the top two or three picks. So, you know, maybe there's a little bit of, well, let's at least see him put something on uh tape on Sundays first before yeah, we move him sure. up in that top tier. And, and you've said this before on the pod, but it probably also is a factor of the fact that he sat out for 2020 and hasn't played mm -hmm. for a year. So, you know, that just adds a little extra level of risk on top of what looks like a slam dunk uh, prospect profile. Yeah, look, I I think um, kind of sharper dynasty rankers out there are going to have him as a low-end wide receiver one. And when you look at the overall market, that's going to take a little bit of time uh, to catch up to the sharps, as they say. Um, so I, I think it's only a matter of time uh, that Jamar Chase is kind of consensus wide receiver one range. But, you know, we'll see. The second receiver that came off the board was with the next pick. So at uh, 106 in the NFL draft, and that was Jalen Waddell from Alabama, who went to the Miami Dolphins, another repairing between uh, college quarterback and wide receiver. So Jalen Waddell. Joins Tua down in South Florida. Trey, 
Uh, I know you were a little bit lower on Jalen Waddle because of his prospect profile than the rest of us, but uh, why don't you talk to us about what you think about this landing spot in Miami? Yeah, I mean, the unfortunate part about Miami is it is a very crowded receiver room already. You've got Devontae Parker, you've got Will Fuller, you've got Preston Williams, Lynn Bowden Jr., and uh, you know Jakeem Grant, who a lot of people like too as a you know a slot inside guy. So Waddle obviously comes with a way better pedigree than any of those guys. So, you know, he is probably going to be the number one in that offense. Uh, but, you know, he does have to like show it on the field first, right? And he does have to earn those targets and there's a lot of uh, mouths to feed, right? So it, there's a world where he doesn't really get a ton of looks as a first year player. There's also still a very real question about uh, Tua's arm strength and the ability to, really maximize what Waddle brings to an offense, which is the work that he does, you know, down the field. Uh, so he might get a little bit more of a shorter average depth of target and, you know, let his uh, yards after catch ability, you know, do the rest of the work, which, you know, would certainly be a good way for Tua to win and for him to win as a, as a rookie. Uh, but, you know, the, the upside with him is always going to be a little bit limited just based on his uh, size and his uh, profile, right? So like, if he's not Tyreek Hill, he's forever going to be like a wide receiver too at best. So, you know, that's why he's always been in about this wide receiver four or five range for me. Landing in Miami really doesn't change it that much. Uh, I, I've had Waddle as my wide rookie wide receiver too from the outset, basically. And this didn't change it for me at, at all. Uh, I think Jamar Chase has the ability to be wide receiver one out of the gate. But after that, I'm not sure there are any other guys we can look at as a wide receiver one this year. But John, at, I agree with that. Yeah, okay, great. <laughs> uh, starting in 2022, I think that uh, Waddle has the best chance to be the next guy to be a wide receiver one. Will Fuller's on a one-year contract. Uh, Devontae Parker is going to be up. If they see what they, if they see something they like, and Waddle, if he if Trey if he, they do what Trey was suggesting, and he gets those short little dump off passes, and it's like, oh, he's lighting up the field. Fuller's not coming back. Parker's not coming back. It's going to be Waddle's team, and he's he he's legitimately has a chance to be the wide receiver one on an up and coming team that could be challenging for a Super Bowl, if not this year, next year. Well, John, real quick, real quick, let me just clarify. I I agree with you. I think he is going to be the number one guy. Uh, okay. But there's a lot of mouths to feed, right? So yeah. it, the upside is just a little bit more limited. And I wouldn't say that even in the second tier that he's the only one because, you know, we're going to talk about Devontae Smith here in a minute, but I think he's clearly better than Jalen Rager and the other guys there in Philly. So there's there's probably other guys that have just as good of, if not a better path to number one status. I agree with that. Uh, and when I say wide receiver one, I mean like overall, because I'm not convinced that Jalen Hurts uh, is that guy maybe for a season or two, but I see Waddle as a wide receiver one on a prolific team for the next five, six years. Uh, they don't, they, they traded back and they traded up to get this guy. They said they were comfortable with three guys. Uh, I think they were hoping Chase would fall to him, but the fact that they took Waddle there instead of taking an O-line and then taking a wide receiver later says a lot. It says they wanted Waddle. I think that they could have, because I said it last week, I think the smart thing would have been to do in that situation is take the old lineman there and then take a Rashad Bateman or a Terrace Marshall at 18. 
but they didn't do that. I think it speaks volumes of what they think of Waddle. So Waddle's going to have every opportunity to be successful. And I, I just think his ceiling's through the roof relative to the other guys in this tier. As a true freshman with uh, Tua Tungavailoa throwing him the ball, he had 45 receptions for 848 yards for seven touchdowns. So that was 18.8 yards per catch. Um, that's not a whole lot of volume. Uh, we'll see if uh, he's able to get volume in Miami's offense. Um, I think if I were to project things, I like Trey kind of said, I think he will be responsible for some of more of the close to the line of scrimmage type work, and they'll have Will Fuller to stretch the field. Um, but it remains to be seen. I personally am rising on Jalen Waddle. I boosted him ahead of Rashad Bateman in my rankings after the draft. Um, and he's closing in on Devonte Smith. I'm not there yet. I mean, I'm kind of walking back what I said a couple weeks ago about Devonte Smith being in a tier of his own as wide receiver too. Uh, I just, I, I don't know. I think I'm in love with the situation in Miami, which is maybe irrational. I just like what they're doing as a team there. And I want to be attached to that offense because I think it's ascending. Right. So I'd agree with that. Um, Let's move on to the third wide receiver drafted, and that was, we mentioned his name, uh, also from the University of Alabama, Devontae Smith, who the Philadelphia Eagles traded up two spots with their division rivals, the Dallas Cowboys, to jump ahead of their other division rivals, the New York Giants, to go ahead and draft Devontae Smith. So, uh, John, what do you think about Devontae Smith as the wide receiver one in Philadelphia? with Jalen Hurts. I think you've got to like the landing spot because he's clearly the best wide receiver on that roster. Uh, I think the question is, is uh, Jalen Hurts going to take that big step forward that a lot of us think he's going to this year? Uh, I th He's my wide receiver three. I'd be, I'd be thrilled to have him on my team. Uh, I don't have any questions about his weight. We've discussed that. I think he's a dynamic playmaker, which is exactly what the Eagles need. And the real question for me is, are they going to clean up that mess that they made last year? And if they can, then uh, Smith to the moon, right? Yeah. So, John, I, I, I'm kind of going back and forth on some of these rookies here. I, Devontae Smith is either my three or four, depending on how I end up feeling about Terrace Marshall on uh, draft day. But I uh, love the landing spot, too, uh, just for the opportunity. You know, he's going to be the man, and I think he complements what they're going to need in that offense like really well just because he can do everything you know yeah and they really didn't have playmakers in that offense and it's not going to be a very good team there in philly next year but they're going to have Devonte smith who can at least get a first down he can at least make a guy miss in the open field you know he can get open he can create separation he can you know create his own looks even though he is you know 166 pounds and, and that offense is going to need that because, you know, they're not going to have a lot of other options to get the ball to. So uh, for fantasy purposes, you know, th there is clearly an argument for him to be the number two receiver in this class, just based on the college production and based on, you know, the opportunity that he's got with this landing spot and the draft capital. Uh, obviously, I'm still a little scared off by the analytic profile, you know, the, the sure. late uh, breakout, the obviously the. The fact that he's like super undersized, but no, I mean, it, it, it there's going to be tons of opportunities for him to produce early on in Philadelphia. So we'll know fairly quickly whether or not this uh, worked out or not. 
you like the shower narrative a little bit uh, in, in terms of Devontae Smith and Jalen Hurts knowing one another from their time in Alabama together. So hopefully that will kind of uh, jumpstart a little bit of on-field chemistry. Uh, we'll see. But I also think uh, the Eagles are a good spot um, for wide receiver opportunity there. Um, I'm interested to see how Devontae Smith and Jalen Rager play off of one another. You know, this is two first round receivers in a row. So if the Eagles can't get their passing offense together, uh, it'll it'll be a it'll be a big question as to um, how good they are drafting. So uh, that remains to be seen. I mean, what, what, what have we seen in Philly over the last two years? We've seen Travis Fulgham and Greg Ward Jr. get, you know, meaningful reps and meaningful situations for Philly. So mm-hmm. it, I mean, they have just been hurting for, for talent and somebody to be a playmaker in that offense. Yeah. And we know Devonte Smith can get open. So we'll see. Uh, I'm rooting for him. All right. So the next receiver that went off the board, Um, was the New York Giants who traded back uh, to pick 20 and ended up picking from the University of Florida, Kadarius Toney. So this is a guy that uh, we kind of um, poked some fun at uh, when we were doing our mock draft episode. Uh, He fell out of our second round in that one QB mock. Um, But we are kind of forced to reckon with the fact that he was picked 20th overall in the NFL draft by the New York Giants Talk about a crowded wide receiver room. Uh, this is this is going to be a tough one to sort out. Trey, what are you thinking? For me, it's not even about the other receivers on that team. It's about Jason Garrett, you know, calling the plays because you know we've seen him in Dallas with guys like Tavon Austin and Lucky Whitehead just give them three or four jet sweeps a week, mm-hmm. and you know maybe a screen or two, and that was it. So, are you really going to spend a first round pick on a guy who projects to be that sort of Percy Harvin type playmaker, like less than five yards down the field. So I, I do not trust Jason Garrett at all to maximize the value of this pick. Um, you know, if he was going to the Chiefs or somewhere like that, then I could get excited. But, you know, his profile already was full of red flags. And I don't think the landing spot does him any favors. Yeah, I've got a lot of questions because he's a slot guy and they've already got the slot guy and Sterling Shepard. So it's like, what are you doing with Sterling Shepard? Uh, and maybe, Tarek, you could talk about uh, this, but if you look at Matt Harmon's reception perception, it's there's a lot of red on there, not a lot of green. He didn't run a lot of routes on co- in college. You can make the argument that he's a raw route runner, um, and which it, it, he's going to be under the tutelage of uh, Garrett, which you already mentioned, Trey. So that that's a big red flag for me. But uh, he he's going to give every he's going to get every opportunity to be successful you don't take a guy in the first round and not give him every opportunity to be successful so i'm higher than you all are but i have him as my rookie wide receiver nine and i think you all have him outside the top 10 so i don't think any of the three of us are particularly high on Kadarius tony um and i don't think that any of us are particularly high on that offense in general yeah i i have him out of um, out of principle i have him at 11 and it's really just because that first round draft capital uh you know, I think he probably should go in the middle of second rounds of one quarterback uh, rookie drafts, maybe middle to the end of second rounds. But I, I certainly wouldn't trade up to get him. You know, if he fell in my lap, then I guess I would pull the trigger there if there was nobody else I liked better. The, to your point about, uh, you know, getting him the work as a, a rookie, as a first round pick, you know, 
Daniel Jones still has a lot of question marks. The guy throws a, a lot of picks. He fumbles a lot. You know, Kadarius Tony could be looking at a new coach and a new quarterback situation in year two. Uh, this has bust potential <laughs> written all over it. So, um, but we have to talk about it because it was a first round pick. So absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so in my initial rookie ranks, like overall rookie ranks, I have Kadarius Tony slotted in as number 17. So that indicates that, um, you know, if you're on the clock in the middle of the second round and, you know, you're just going kind of best player available because of that high draft capital input, uh, you can go ahead and take Kadarius Tony there. But, you know, like we've been saying, I'm not going to be extremely excited about it. And I think it's one of those situations that once he has this explosive big game in his rookie year where he gets you know, 140 yards and two touchdowns and all of it is yak. Uh, I would be banging the table for everybody to sell, sell, sell Kadarius Tony because both the situation, his risk profile, all those things is not something I really want to be attached to long term. But there's enough explosiveness in his game that there could be plenty of sell opportunities if you jump in at the right time. So, so Tarek, this is a little bit philosophical, but what are you looking for in these rookie wide receivers? And, you know, what I'm looking for are guys that could be potentially top five or, you know, top 12 at the position. Mm -hmm. And Kadarius Tony does not present that kind of upside whatsoever. So, you know, best case scenario, he produces like Percy Harvin did for like two years, you know, back in, you know, 10 years ago. And in that case, you're getting like a mid to low end wide receiver too. you know, somebody who would be in your flex, presumably. And yeah, yeah, I mean, at the end of the second round, I guess that's okay value. And you just wait for the opportunity to sell exactly like you said. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's all I'm looking for because like every receiver that you choose, you ideally want them to have that top 10, top 12 upside, but that's just not necessarily realistic. And sometimes you have to not pick to trade, but essentially pick with the understanding that you're selecting value here, you're selecting high draft capital. And because he has that high draft capital attached to him, when he has an explosive game or two in a row, there's going to be an opportunity for you to extract max value if you if you want to, right? And you know, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you. I don't think his ceiling is top 12 wide receiver. Um, but I think that he presents enough upside on a week to week basis that in dynasty, you can get value out of him in a given week when he explodes. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, but it, also it's just a product of the fact, and we'll talk about these guys as we move down the list. Uh, once you get to that mid second round, things start thinning out really quickly, right? So, uh, you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. And speaking of which, let's keep moving down this list. Uh, the next receiver that went off the board was at pick 27 in the first round to the Baltimore Ravens, and that was Rashad Shadi B. Bateman out of the University of Minnesota. This is a guy that the Dynasty community in general is really high on. Uh, us at the long game are very high on, um, and he was kind of telegraphed to this landing spot for a couple of weeks. You saw him in a lot of mocks end up here. Um, so for the last couple of weeks, whenever Baltimore comes up as a wide receiver landing spot, uh, we've been sighing a little bit, but now we kind of have to reckon with it and we kind of have to figure out where we're valuing Rashad Bateman now that we have the news. So John answer that question for us, man. Well, I, th I think I said it last week. I said, I want one wide receiver from the Baltimore, Baltimore Ravens and whoever that number one is. And if that person happens to be better than Hollywood Brown, then I want that guy. 
And I am 100% positive that Rashad Bateman is better than Hollywood Brown. He's going to walk in and be the one number one wide receiver uh, in that offense on day one. He's going to win that job, no question about it. Uh, so I've had him as my wide receiver for my r- rookie wide receiver for from the outset. And this didn't change anything for me. He's still he's still tier two guy for me. He's just at the bottom of tier two. Uh, so, you know, kind of probably after the three running backs, probably after Kyle Pitts towards the mid middle to the uh, maybe six, seven or eight in your rookie drafts. That's where I'm looking to grab this guy. Uh, he's going to be the best wide receiver in that offense. And I I don't think that. The question is, is he good enough to win the job? I think the question is, is he going to get enough volume yep. to live up to his potential? And that's the only place I'm at, and that's why I'm putting him at the end of Tier 2. Trey, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, you're you're, you're right on. I He's going to get a little bit um, of a value bump just because people are going to fade him because of the landing spot, right? So uh, I've had him as my wide receiver, too, for the rookie class through this whole process ahead of the Alabama guys. And you know, maybe stubbornly, I still have him there, even though he got, uh, he landed in Baltimore. So, you know, really the risk here is exactly like you said, it's the volume. It's the fact that that offense runs through Lamar Jackson and it runs through that running game and they just don't throw as much as the rest of the NFL. They were last in the league in passing, uh, plays last year, I believe. So, um, they also, you know, don't run as many plays as the rest of the league does because they're so efficient on the ground. So, uh, you know, all that says, like, they're probably not going to change too much because what they're doing is working. You know, this this offense is getting them into the playoffs every year the way, um, you know, they're organized through Lamar Jackson. But there's this chicken and the egg argument, like, is it the way that it is because they didn't have a receiver like Rashad Bateman, because their number one guy was Hollywood Brown, who does have a little bit of a limited profile as a number one wide receiver. So, Maybe if Bateman's on that team, maybe he's more efficient as a receiver option and maybe they start passing more. So that's the only way I think you can justify, uh, you know, still viewing him as the receiver two option. I guess that's the uh, the knot that I've tied myself into. Uh, but, you know, I, it, Lamar Jackson is a better receiver than the receivers in, or excuse me, he's a better quarterback than Tua and Jalen Hurts, right? So I'm certainly not fading him because of Lamar Jackson. It's just the volume of passing opportunities that he's going to get. It's the scheme. They're the yeah. they're going to run first every time. I really appreciate that insight, Trey. And I I think that I I after hearing you talk about it in that way, I am more confident in drafting Rashad Bateman in the top eight of a one QB league. Um, and I did move him down a little bit, but just for context, yes, Jalen Waddle did jump him in my rankings. But before the NFL draft, overall, I had him at wide receiver 29, and now I have him at wide receiver 32. So I didn't like fade him 10, 15, 20 spots like you're going to see a lot of people who are really down on this Baltimore landing spot. But I did ding him a, a tiny bit. With that being said, if I'm choosing between him and Trey Sermon there at the end of the first round, Rashad Bateman every single time. You know, I am still high on him as a prospect. I like Lamar Jackson. I like the Ravens as an organization. I think that they're, I trust that they're going to feature a talent like Rashad Bateman. And I, I, I'll just pack, I'm going to piggyback on you because what I've seen out there on a bunch of uh, rankings is people jumping Elijah Moore ahead of Rashad Bateman. I think that's a mistake. I'm not sure that Elijah Moore has a path to be the wide receiver one on that team necessarily. Uh, 
I I think that Rashad Bateman clearly needs to be drafted before uh, Elijah. Oh, I know we're going to talk about Elijah Moore, but that's no just- like we're we're talking about Elijah Moore right now. So that's round two. The first re- receiver picked in round two was pick thirty five, Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss to the New York Jets. So John, I'm just going to throw it right back to you. You had mentioned that uh, you don't think he has a clear path to being the wide receiver one there. Why don't you expand? Well, just let's look at what they've done. They went and they got Corey Davis. Last year, they drafted Denzel Mims. Those two guys are probably the guys that are playing on the outside. And uh, I don't know who's playing the X, who's playing on the other side. But Elijah Moore is going to be playing in the slot. They've got a guy. They've got Jamison Crowder. Now, I think he's got a $10 million cap hit. If they cut him, then that's like $10 million. So I'm guessing he's gone. So... Elijah Moore is probably the starter in the slot, but that's not a guarantee. And even if he is, Zach Wilson is a rookie quarterback. And if it's not Zach Wilson, it's Joe Flacco. Uh, this is a <laughs> this is a uh, this is an offense I have some confidence in. I think that they've got they're under new re- leadership, but they're not going to be there right away. And there's no guarantees. You know, I, I'm much more confident in a an offense that's proven to be successful, which would be the Ravens and Rashad Bateman, than I am in an offense that's just starting and is a pure hypothetical at this point. And we don't even know how that depth chart's going to shake out, you know? Yeah. So, so John, to that point, I think Elijah Moore definitely is going to take over the Jameson Crowder slot role uh, for sure. Um, yeah. Crowder is going to be a cap casualty. Right. He's, he's gone. Right. So, you know, Mims is probably that outside guy, probably that X receiver. Corey Davis is probably more of your, your Z, your, your flanker. And yeah. Um, you know, get involved in the the run game and some blocking. So, you know, I wouldn't be afraid of Corey Davis getting in the way of Elijah Moore production. I think they're probably going to compete for, you know, different types of targets. And, you know, Elijah Moore's profile is great across the board. The one thing that's a question mark is the, you know, five foot nine frame. So, uh, you know, I saw an argument earlier today that um, I, I I think it was Matt from Matt Harmon, maybe it was somebody else, but basically that you know the future of the NFL is going to go more to these five nine type Tyler Lockett receivers than the six you know three DeAndre Hopkins type wide receiver ones that we've had in the past. And who knows what's going to happen? You know, five six seven years from now, but uh, you know Elijah Moore fits that profile of a guy who can just be a super productive. Uh, you know, downfield separator, do it all with Yak. Like he, um, he he has a great profile. It's a I I like the offensive pick uh, by the Jets. You know, they they also dipped and they got uh, that yeah. uh, Vera Tucker. You know, the guard. They also got uh, Michael Carter. Right, so they added some really good pieces to that offense. Uh, so it's a new day in New York. And if you if you are a fan of the Shanahan system, like I know uh, Tarek is, then uh, you got to think that there's going to be a lot of Shanahan in what they're doing in that offense. So, you know, there's some creative ways that they can get the ball to Elijah Moore as a rookie where I, I really like, like him as a prospect, especially at the end of the first round for your one QB rookie drafts. Yeah. Look, I don't think any of us uh, have Elijah Moore ranked ahead of Rashad Bateman or even particularly close to Rashad Bateman. I do think that he is in a different tier. He's in the next tier down. Like in my rankings, I have Rashad Bateman at eight and then I have Trevor Lawrence at nine and then Elijah Moore next. Right. And that, that represents a tier break for me. So I agree with both of you here. I think that Rashad Bateman and Elijah Moore are in clear different tiers from one another, but I also agree with Trey that 
I love Elijah Moore, and I think the landing spot is underrated. I think Jamison Crowder is gone. I think there's plenty of opportunity there in the slot, and I think that Zach Wilson's going to lean on him as a rookie. So, so one minor uh, disagreement there is I actually have him in the same tier. I, I have okay. Elijah Moore up there with those other guys, with the Bama receivers, and and same with Rondell Moore, who we're going to talk about. So cool. Um, you know, it's just the risk that comes with those profiles with Devonte Smith and and Jalen Waddle. It it makes me more comfortable putting Elijah Moore, Rondo Moore in that same tier. Okay. I love it. All right. In that case, let's uh, move on to Rondale Moore right before we do our halftime segment. So wide receiver out of Purdue got selected by the Arizona Cardinals in round two, pick 49 overall. Trey, throwing it right back to you. What do you think about uh, Rondale Moore there in the Valley of the Sun? Man, I love this landing spot. So obviously the number one guy there is going to be DeAndre Hopkins, but you know, who knows after that, right? Like Christian Kirk really hasn't worked out for them the way they had hoped. Uh, they signed AJ Green in the offseason. Who knows how many targets he's going to get? You know, is he really going to get, you know, five, six targets a game in that offense? I have a hard time seeing it. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald is probably off on his way to the golf course somewhere. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, Rondell Moore is, he's another great prospect. Obviously he had the incredibly productive freshman year and then, you know, the uneven uh, sophomore junior year with the the injuries and some of the, um, the time missed with the COVID opt out. But uh, I mean, gosh, being attached to Kyler Murray, being attached to that offense, I it's, it's one of the better landing spots in these first three rounds. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm a lot more comfortable, I think, picking Rondale more at the end of the first than, uh, you and some of the other guys, uh, um, in our, our league are probably. Well, when we did our mock draft episode, I took Rondale more, I think at two, one. And I said, when I took him that he was the most landing spot dependent guy in that range. And at the time I wasn't thinking about Arizona, but the more I think about it, the more it makes a lot of sense. Cause he's going to get a chance to learn from, uh, all these uh, AJ Green and DeAndre Hopkins, and he's going to get to learn from Larry Fitzgerald when he's not at the golf course, like you said. Uh, so <laughs> three, three of the best receivers in the game in that receiver room, right? Like yeah. Ever, right? And so he's gonna, he's not going to have any uh, shortage of tutelage there. I think yeah. he's going to learn from the best, and I'm very excited about that landing spot. I've, I move, I've got him slightly ahead of. Uh, Elijah Moore, I've got Rondale Moore at five, and I think he fits in perfectly at the end of the first round here of the rookie draft. You know, one one thing we haven't really talked about a lot with Rondale Moore is I, I've, I've probably called him like a Curtis Samuel uh, light, you know, lookalike, but that's because he did get uh, opportunities to run the ball uh, at Purdue. So yes. he could even cut into a guy like uh, Chase Edmonds upside, like, you know, taking some of those short swing passes behind the line of scrimmage, maybe taking some carries uh from, wouldn't surprise me yeah. oh man like i would i would love it if that happened and uh yeah like i said I, I i think i'm still going elijah moore over rondale but um you know very similar profiles in a lot of ways and uh love the landing spot for for rondale yeah those two are really close for me too they're gonna find ways to get the ball in his hands year one and i think uh really excited about what he could become 2022 when you know, AJ Green is likely out the door. Larry Fitzgerald will certainly be retired by then, if not earlier than then. Uh, there's a lot of good golf courses there in Phoenix, can, I hear. Can I, can I just say one more thing? Because this, this made me laugh so hard. When Urban Meyer said he picked ETN at, was it 25 you picked him? Yeah, it was 25. Uh, he said he was bent out of shape because Kadarius Tony was already off the board. 
It's like you could have taken Elijah Moore or Rondale Moore, and like who are better football players. What what is what kind of logic is that? Urban Meyer not off to a great start. Yeah. Or how about the Giants trading up? I mean, they could have traded up and got, you know, Rondale Moore or Elijah Moore too. Exactly. You know? So, so yeah. I don't know what the the these NFL guys were thinking. Uh, I mean, on on paper and in my spreadsheet, obviously the the Moors look a lot better. Um, I guess the one thing that we should probably say for fairness is because of his size, there is probably that limited wide receiver one upside yeah. with Rondell yeah. Moore. So it's probably not fair for me to rip on Kadarius Tony so much and then not bring it up with with either of the Moors. So we should probably at least acknowledge it before we you know laugh at the guy who picks Kadarius Tony in the middle of the second. Yeah, but Kadarius Kadarius Tony did not do what Rondale Moore did That's as a right. motherfucking eighteen year old man. Like That's right. It, what he did as a true freshman just sticks in your mind, and I think it really boosts his profile. It really boosts his ceiling in a way that I can't see with Kadarius Tony. But you know, it remains to be seen. Nah, well put. Yeah, and situations change as well. So it's like Rondale Moore is always going to be a situation dependent kind of guy. So if Kingsbury's ever out the door, then Rondale Moore better hope that that new coach is going to use him creatively. Yeah. And well, I mean, I think it remains to be seen whether Cliff Kingsbury knows how to use weapons creatively, but that's a (laughs) conversation for a different time. All right, guys, let's move into our halftime segment. So Mitch isn't here. um, So he's going to be put at a little bit of a competitive disadvantage here, but good thing the points don't matter. So for this halftime segment, which is a question that I ask our panelists and they respond with an argument-based answer and I choose who I think had the best argument and we're keeping track of points. The question this week is what rookie from the first round of DLF Dynasty ADP has the biggest bust potential? All right, Trey, going with you first. Ooh, man. Okay, well, we already talked about him and I'll, so I'll throw it out again. I think it's Jalen Waddle. Uh, so right now he's ranked wide receiver three uh, by these DLF rankings, uh, which puts him at the pick number seven in the first round. So obviously he's going to be competing for targets with Fuller, Parker, Williams, Bowden, and Grant, which means, you know, he could face plant in year one to use a uh, term from, you know, uh, being a uh, fantasy bean counter. But on top of that, uh, his profile isn't great, which is what we've been talking about for a couple months now, right? He didn't hit 20% college dominant or yeah, the dominator until year three. And that's when he had the ankle injury. Uh, he was also quoted pre-draft saying that he likes Mac Jones a lot more than uh, Tua. So I wonder if like that's going to end up coming back to like bite him. Um, you know, maybe Tua struggles to get him the ball down the field. I could see him ending up with like something like 40 catches, maybe 500 yards, maybe missing some time to injury in his first year. So, you know, that's why I've dropped him down to to wide receiver five in this class and, you know, maybe the ninth or 10th overall that off the board. Okay. Trey taking a good risk there with uh, knowing that uh, I'm pretty high on Jalen Waddle. So John, uh, you may be in a, in an advantageous position, but who is your guy with the biggest bust potential in the first round of rookie ADP? Well, I'm pretty sure that Trey just took Waddle just for the sole reason to piss me off. So I'm going to use a similar tactic and I'm going to pick a guy just to piss Trey off. And I'm going to say the biggest bust potential is Travis Etienne. The reason being, oh yes, that's the reaction I was hoping for. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why Etienne might bust. Uh, he only recently learned how to catch a football, for one. We don't know how this system is going to translate, Urban Meyer system is going to translate from college to the NFL. 
they uh we we don't know if uh james robinson he's already seen he's already shown the ability to rise you know he's he's a great running back and there's no reason to think that he's not going to still be a great running back travis Etienne has to win the job urban meyer said that has said as much he sees him as a third down back for now uh now may he might win that job but even if he does he's a player that you mentioned uh it's gonna thrive in open space now do they have the tools to find that open space i'm not sure that's the case yet to be determined could it be yeah he could be the running back one in this class but is that necessarily true no i think that he could easily bust and the whole team could bust and they're going to hit the reset button in three years now before you make your decision i did just receive a text from mitch and uh he said that he gave me three options his third option was etn his second option was waddle but his first option was elijah moore oh said, interesting he said because of mims davis and even cole it's not that he won't be good it's that there's no urgency for him to be a fantasy re relevant player anytime soon i think that's a good point elijah moore is a role player and it, he might be that kind of guy that's really good for the jets but maybe isn't so great for fantasy i think that's uh i think that's a legitimate argument john you did an admirable job filling in for mitch there yeah I'm sure Mitch appreciates you filling in in absentia. Uh, and, you know, it's like if if Mitch would have typed more out, I thought it was a really good start to the paragraph. But if he got more in there, I, I liked where it was going. But I can't pick Mitch. Uh, I was hoping that I would be able to pick Mitch in absentia. But my bad, Mitch. Ooh. I should have done a better job. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and go with. Just pick Trey. Give me a break. We all know you're going to pick Trey. Just pick him. I I think Trey made a better argument. Yes. <laughs> I'm gonna pick Trey, Just which means it. what Trey has four points now. Just but the points the points don't matter. <laughs> the points don't matter. Yeah, I like I liked um Trey's mixture of um kind of breaking down his lacking and some analytic profile as well as getting into a little bit of the narrative street there. Uh, with uh, him preferring Jalen Waddle, preferring Mac Jones over Tua, even though I think he was just saying that to get his boy drafted. But you know, I, I don't know. Honestly, I could have gone either way, but I think I'm just gonna go with Trey. Just you go know? with just, Trey I'm, every week. I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm just trying <laughs> to give Trey uh, an uncatchable lead in these points that don't matter. So, well, look, I'll just I'll share with you guys. So, uh, I had Trevor Lawrence as my number two on the board, Ooh. and uh, oh wow, that was a little bit spicy because I thought uh, it's totally possible that Lance and Fields end up being the better fantasy quarterbacks. So that is spicy. You know, there could be a little bit of regret uh, for for the guys who go Lawrence at the end of first, and then my. Well, I'm just saying, if you're a listener, tune in next week when we're talking about QBs. This is spicy. Well, my number three was Trey uh, Trey Sermon since he uh, snuck into the bottom of the uh, the first round. Number now, twelve, that's 12. right. Yeah. So anyway, but uh, just thought I'd share that with you guys. Let's jump back into these receivers. We got a good amount of guys to move through, so maybe we'll try to move a little bit faster. Yeah. And I think that'll be pretty easy in the second half because there's less interesting because receivers. we literally don't know who these people are. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them, <laughs> right? So the the next receiver taken was by the Seattle Seahawks in round two, pick 56 overall, and that is Dwayne Eskeridge, or as we've been calling him in our group chat, Dwaynechant Eldridge, because <laughs> he's more than 24 years old, which is insane as a rookie. Um, so yeah, uh, Dwayne Eskeridge goes to the Seattle Seahawks. 
John reaction? Uh, well, before I think I mentioned last week, I saw this guy as more of a special teams kind of guy, and maybe he does play that role. And I, I was talking to my boy Kyle earlier, and he said, this doesn't make no sense. Why did they extend Tyler Lockett and take this guy? I He's going to be their wide receiver three, probably, because David Moore got shipped off to Carolina, I think. Uh, but it remains to be seen whether wide receiver three for the Seahawks is going to be a worthwhile investment in any regard. Pete Carroll, pretty committed to the run there. So I, I'm I'm pretty far off on Dwayne Eskridge, Dwayne Chint, Eldridge, Elderridge. I can't even, the, the old dude. <laughs> Dwayne Chint, Eldridge. Thank you. So I don't know if you guys saw on Twitter earlier, but it was uh, Kyle Yates from Fantasy Pros who was doing a lot of, uh, a lot of standing for, uh, Eldridge and uh yeah he's been on Eldridge for a while yeah it was it was an interesting thread it definitely made me think about him a little bit differently uh it was a week or two ago on this pod where I kind of laughed at him as like why would you take the 24 year old from the Mac uh and you know let's move on but you know I think there's an argument there that they had to make a change in Seattle to their offensive philosophy uh Kyle Yates was talking about bringing a little bit more of the Rams system in there um I don't know if that's really going to be the case or not, but I could see the fact that Seattle traded up to get him in the second round and that they didn't have a lot of draft picks and that he was their first guy drafted means that they must know something we don't. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, that enough is for me to start considering him above some of these other guys in this, you know, back end of the second, third round of your one QB rookie draft. I still have him at 14. I could be talked into moving him up. Honestly, the the uh, analytic profile isn't great, but he just has a weird profile. Like he was a former cornerback and, right. you know, he was obviously competing in the Mac and he like missed time with like COVID and red shirting and all sorts of things. So obviously that's how he ended up to be 24 years old as a rookie. Um, I don't know. He's, he's my wide receiver 14 now until uh, further notice. Yeah, I've got him as kind of firmly in the back half of the third round of a 1QB league right now. You know, I just think he's a little bit buried on the depth chart of a low-volume team. So, you know, I'm I'm willing to take the L on him if I'm not picking him in the early third or late second. But, you know, we'll see. I, I, do, I will say, like, he kind of endeared himself to me with the tweet after he was drafted. I think it was in exchange with one of his friends or his cousin or something like that that he was – really hoping that the Seattle Seahawks took him like yeah, he was just he just really loved um his meetings with the Seahawks and I I don't know that was just adorable to me so I wish Dwayne uh Eskridge I'll say his name correctly all the best in Seattle um I'm sure it's going to be really fun catching passes from Russell Wilson let's move on to the next receiver drafted next pick actually round two pick 57 overall was another guy we laughed about uh, on our last episode, and that's Tutu Atwell from Louisville, who went to the Los Angeles Rams. So Sean McVay makes another pick in the second round, kind of a head-scratcher of a receiver pick in the second round two years in a row. What do we think about Tutu Atwell here getting this mid-second round draft capital? So I've, I've come up a, a little bit on Tutu Atwell since the draft. Uh, you know, I think... Obviously, I dismissed him too because of the size. He was what 155 pounds at his weigh in, uh, 149, I think. Yeah, yeah under, okay, under 150. Super, super tiny guy. So obviously, he's never going to be a wide receiver one in the league. But uh, you know, he could be like a Brandon Cooks type 
producer in that Rams offense, you know, because they were missing that once Cooks left. And obviously Van uh, Jefferson hasn't really stepped up yet. They let Josh Reynolds go. Uh, and, and Tutu Atwell, he actually has a really awesome, uh, production profile at Louisville. He had the 37.8% dominator as a sophomore, which is a huge breakout for over 1200 yards. And he's got that, um, the speed that you need to be competitive at his side, that, um, that four, three, nine, uh, 40 at his pro day. So I I think he knows how to use it too, right? I think he's going to win by getting separation and and making guys miss downfield and being a, 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 a weapon with his yards after catch. So I'm, I'm coming around on him. He's still at the end of the second high third for me, uh, in one QB rookie drafts, but, uh, yeah, going into the second round definitely helped. I have him as my rookie wide receiver 22. (laughs) (laughs) He is on my do not look, uh, do not draft board, but look, he, uh, I get it. I get where they drafted him. They didn't have the field stretcher, right? They didn't have the guy that's going to sprint down the field and open up things over the middle for Robert Woods and Cooper cup. That's what they needed. So that's what they got. I think he's a decoy. I don't think he's going to, I think they'll launch the ball to him once a game. Maybe he gets a touchdown here and there. I don't think he's ever going to be a reliable member of your fantasy team. If you start him, you're hoping that he gets a touchdown and it's like an 80 yard touchdown or something, but I, he's going to be the ultimate boom or bust player in my opinion. And maybe with Stafford as your quarterback, maybe that's something you want to gamble on. Uh, but I, not for me, he's off my board. So, so John, to that point, I mean, doesn't Van Jefferson have some downfield speed? I mean, couldn't conceivably he be that deep field stretcher? And if they thought like that's, you know, the role he could fill, then why are they drafting Tutu Atwell in the second round this well, year? I, I, I think Van Jefferson uh, is more, is a better comp to Cooper, what Cooper Cup does. I think Van Jefferson wins with the okay. route running. Okay. I think he was fast enough, but he's not Tutu Atwell fast. And if he was that guy, he would have been, he would have been on the field more last season. I think that's what they're communicating. Van Jefferson is not that guy. I think he's I think he's Cooper Cup and they need a field stretcher. Look, you get picked at 57th overall to a team like the Los Angeles Rams, you got to turn your head a little bit, you know, you got to you got to consider it. You got to uh, and I did move him up a little bit. He's he's rookie number 24 in my overall 1QB rank, so end of the second round. Um but you know, I'm I'm not convinced that Sean McVay is this great drafter of talent, right? Because since he's gotten there, the pass catchers that he's picked in the second round have been Gerald Everett, Van Jefferson, and now Tutu Atwell. So I have not seen him use this second round talent uh, to, you know, their potential, at least the potential that their draft capital indicates. You know, obviously uh, he's hit on a later pick in Cooper Cup, but... You know, we'll we'll just have to see how it shakes out. I I, I think this is a guy that I'm fine if you want to take a, a stab at the end of the second round. All of these guys at the end of the second round are stabs. But one guy who I think we don't think is just a shot in the dark is the next receiver that was picked, and that was at uh, pick 59 in the second round. The Carolina Panthers took Terrace Marshall Jr. out of LSU. Uh, this is a guy that. Uh, a lot of people had pegged to go at the end of the first or maybe the early second, but he kind of fell to the mid kind of middling later second round. Um, so 
Trey, I'll throw it back to you. I know uh, Terrace Marshall is a guy that you love analytically. And uh, what did you think about this landing spot? Yeah, I mean, I love him for his size and speed combo. He's coming in at 6'2", 6'3", which is uh, something that basically nobody else in this draft has besides Nico Collins. And uh, I, I actually really like the landing spot too. I mean, Robbie Anderson only has one year left on that deal. He could be out the door next year. Uh, they have a lot of vacated targets with Curtis Samuel leaving for Washington. So he could step in and be productive right away. And uh, I mean, if you think that like Sam Darnold isn't absolutely awful and he was just kind of uh, in a bad situation underneath Adam Gase, we've seen a couple other guys leave Adam Gase and go on to be productive. So I'm I'm not even saying Sam Darnold has to be the truth. He just has to be, you know, average and they can probably outproduce what they had last year with Teddy Bridgewater and arguably, you know, Terrace Marshall is uh, an upgrade over Curtis Samuel at that position. I know John is, uh, you know, accusing me of blasphemy, uh, even just considering that, but um, no, I, I love him. I I've got him as a first round option up there with the Alabama guys and Rashad Bateman. Uh, I'm not so concerned by the, the injury issues. I think what's more concerning is just that he dropped so far in the draft and, um, I mean, at least he still went in the second and didn't go yeah. you know, third or day three. Yeah, he didn't Tylen Wallace us right, right. right here. Uh, <laughs> I'm intrigued by Terrace Marshall here because he's not a clear replacement for Curtis Samuel. They're clearly different players, but uh, Terrace Marshall, Marshall did play a lot out of the slot, so maybe they put him in the slot there. Uh, I'm not sure, but what I am sure of is that Joe Brady is has an excellent offensive system, and he has played with Terrace Marshall before at LSU, and so I trust that he's going to use Terrace Marshall to his maximum potential. He drafted a player that he already knows how to use, and that's why I'm intrigued. So I'm going to wait and see if he's truly Robbie Anderson's replacement or Curtis Samuel's replacement, uh, but I think that this could be a really nice spot for him. Yeah, and, and you know what? Maybe what this does is maybe DJ Moore gets more uh, snaps in the slot, right? I think mm. we all believe that DJ Moore is capable of handling those uh, those reps. So if if that's the case, then yeah, you can have Marshall split time between inside and outside. Same with DJ Moore. Gives you lots of like options and variability on offense. So that it just makes it more dangerous. And I, I really like the pick. I, I like the landing spot. Um, I don't love that he dropped to pick 59, but... Um, I mean, he's still there in that top tier. Well, that top tier after Jamar Chase for me. Yeah. Sure. You love to see a good player land with a good coach and a good offensive coordinator. So I'm, I'm really excited about the landing spot too. I'm not too scared off about him falling to the mid second round. All right. So this next guy, um, this is a guy that we have not uttered his name on this fantasy football podcast. And I would venture to say that the vast majority of Dynasty Fantasy Football podcasts have not uttered this wide receiver's name, and that is Josh Palmer from the University of Tennessee. The LA Chargers selected him in the third round at pick 77 overall. So this is a premium landing spot, you know? Um, So again, this is another pick where we kind of have to take notice a little bit because he's going with decent draft capital here in round three and he's going to a premium landing spot. So John, Justin Herbert is your guy. Um, What was your reaction when Josh Palmer was picked here at 77? I immediately went to Google and started typing in J 
O S H. I didn't know who this guy was. I saw him at the Senior Bowl, but there wasn't anything about him that jumped out at me. Uh, but what I do know is that Justin Herbert was throwing the ball around accurately to a bunch of nobodies last year. And if the Chargers feel like they've got something here, I think that says a lot because Justin Herbert's already been already proven that he could throw the ball to anyone. So if they like this guy and they're going to give him the opportunity, then I think that's argument enough to take a dart throw at him. Yeah, I so I mean nobody's sans uh, Keenan Allen, right? But uh, I, I think that's mostly just because Mike Williams can't stay on the field. But he was injured. Yep. Yeah. Right. I, I think Josh Palmer is a little bit of these teams just being like, well, let's get somebody with some size, right? Because he's he's six yeah. foot one, um, and there's so many five foot nine guys in this class. You know. There you go. Uh, he also probably got a big bump from the senior bowl. Um, you know, he's, he's got an okay athletic profile. Like I think, uh, his RAS is 7.6, right? So top quarter or top, um, you know, quarter percentile athletically, uh, he graded out as a fourth rounder. So maybe this was a little bit of a reach, uh, by the chargers. Um, his other analytic profile, you know, doesn't look great. And the argument that I've seen is that maybe it's because he was held back by the quarterback play there at Tennessee. Right. Um, he's definitely going to get opportunities. And I, we've, we've said this before, but it's true for Josh Palmer. In the third rounds, you're fair, it's fair game on these dart throws. So it, it doesn't hurt to go with the guy who's going to get opportunity because if it works out for you, great. If not, you spend a third round pick on him. Yeah, I've got him ranked at rookie wide receiver 33 and one QB. So... But I could see you taking a swing on him ahead of a guy like Elijah Mitchell, who I have ranked higher, or Chuba Hubbard, who I have ranked higher. You know, if you're in that, if you're in that place and you want to take a swing on a guy that could be the wide receiver two in 2022, maybe after Mike Williams moves on from the Chargers, why not? You're in the third round, so go ahead and do it. Um, just I, I would take yeah. those running backs. Okay, well, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, Dane Brugler, who is a who is a tape evaluator that I trust a lot, says, quote, that he is a good depth piece that could be a starter in a good situation, end quote. So he's in a good situation. So I guess he could be a starter. Let's move on. Pick 82 overall in round three was the Washington football team taking Deami Brown out of North Carolina. This is a guy that we've talked about a good amount. Um, he lands here in Washington to be ostensibly the wide receiver three in that offense. John, give us your reaction to Diami Brown here. Uh, he is a guy that I was a little bit lower on. I'm not quite sure where he fits in because they've got McLaurin on the outside. I assumed that Curtis Samuel was going to be playing in the slot, but I want to see how they're going to use him in Curtis Samuel. I just think there's a lot of question marks right now. Uh, I, I like that he's paired with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I like. I think I like any wide receiver that's paired with Ryan Fitzpatrick. But this is kind of a wait-and-see pick for me because I'm just not quite sure how they're planning to use him. I see him more as a field stretcher in that offense. He's actually yeah. my top guy in the uh, the rookie class after that Elijah Moore, Rondale Moore uh, tier. Uh, so I would probably target him uh, towards the uh, high end of the second round in one QB drafts. Um, I'm, I'm definitely not scared off by the... Uh, by the landing spot there in Washington, I think Washington is building a lot better offense than what they've had uh, in recent history. And, and they uh, need a wide receiver three. So that's nice. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think they can coexist uh, on, you know, with uh, McLaurin and with Samuel. So, 
yeah, I mean, Deami Brown has is going to get some opportunity. Uh, you know, Fitzpatrick is is definitely a guy who can air it out and will air it out. So yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of upside here for him to pop in year one. Yeah, I I agree with Trey. I think he fits in really well with uh, Terry McLaurin as the X, and then uh, Curtis Samuel in the slot, and Deami Brown kind of flanking, running downfield. Um, so I think it's a perfect fit. Uh, I would have liked to see him go to a place where he's kind of immediately slotted in as the wide receiver two in the offense instead of the wide receiver three in the offense. I think he's pretty clearly the three. But, you know, with Ryan Fitzpatrick, we could see a situation in which you have three decently relevant fantasy wide receivers and then you know situations change right so within a couple of years you could see diami brown move up that depth chart depending on what what happens with the other two receivers we can't really predict that so if you believe in the talent he's a great second round pick let's move on to the next receiver that was drafted another guy that landed in a really nice spot and that was amari rogers at pick 85 by the green bay packers so he might not have aaron Rodgers throwing him the ball but he will be on the packers so Trey, uh, we talked about Amari Rogers last week as a guy uh, that was kind of in day two capital of those mocks. Yeah. So last week when we talked about him, we had him in that same group as uh, Eskridge and Atwell as these uh, five, nine, these undersized guys uh, who, you know, they're not ever really going to be those number one options in any of these offenses. But obviously Green Bay is a good landing spot. Assuming Aaron Rodgers is playing for Green Bay uh, this year, it seems like that's more and more likely not going to be the case now, but who knows? So, you know, if, if he is the number two opposite uh, Devonte Adams, he's going to get tons of opportunity. It's one of the better landing spots in this draft for any of these receivers. Cause he does look like he's going to get immediate wide receiver two opportunity. Um, I would not spend a premium pick on Amari Rogers at all. That senior year breakout, he never cleared a 23 and a half percent college dominator I already mentioned the size. He he stuck around for his senior year. I mean, all of that is working against him. So he is a a risky pick in the third round at best. Who will get early opportunity? I think I'd I just ask the same question that I would ask of any uh, wide receiver two in Green Bay is like, can can you be relevant in this offense? Because I don't think that's been proven. I think that uh, everybody wants to believe that Green Bay can support a wide receiver two, but I'm not sure. I'm not even sure that he's more talented than Lazard out there. So uh, I think he's going to have an opportunity, but uh, I'm with you, Trey. I think that he's definitely a third round dart throw at the earliest. Yeah, I, I am not a believer in MVS or Lazard. So I think he is clearly the second most talented receiver on that team immediately. We probably as a group remember the Mike McCarthy days where, you know, they had two or three relevant uh, fantasy wide receivers at any given time. So, you know, I think we're all kind of hoping that that'll come back in Green Bay. But um, I mean, yeah, like I said, he's he does not have a lot of uh, uh, promising uh, features except for this third round draft capital. Yeah, I, I will say that I do like that he gives them something different than the MVS and the and uh, the Lazards, like he is a guy that uh, is kind of more of a short area target and then can go kind of running back his way to picking up yards after the catch. So this is just kind of a new look for the offense that presents a different kind of on-field profile than um, the shitty wide receiver twos and threes that they have in Green Bay. But I, I think I agree with y'all. I have him a little bit higher in my rankings. I think I would be willing to take the risk in the second round to get 
you know, uh, some targets there from hopefully Aaron Rodgers, but that could be Jordan Love, and uh, that would be a big ding to his value. All right, keep moving along here at uh, pick 89 in round three. The Houston Texans took Nico Collins out of Michigan. Uh, so this is a guy that we didn't talk about a couple weeks ago, but uh, he he was on my board uh, pretty high uh, before the draft. And I think the fact that he's got a clear path to some opportunity here in this offense uh, maybe moves him up a little bit more. Trey, uh, what do you think about Nico Collins? Yeah, so I, I actually like Nico Collins. Nico Collins a lot. I think he could be the Chase Claypool of this draft class where he's got that 6'4 size. He's got that good athleticism and he's going to fall into the late second, early third. I've got him as my next receiver. I would go off the board after Deami Brown. So I mentioned, you know, I've got that tier after the Rondé Moore, Eli Moore. So he's my wide receiver eight in this rookie class. Uh, the landing spot, obviously things aren't great in, in Houston right now. We don't know who's going to be playing quarterback for them. Uh, Brandon cooks is the only relevant receiver in that receiver room. Right. So I think Nico Collins yeah. again, will step in kind of like Amari Rogers into immediate wide receiver two opportunities. So we'll know early on whether or not, uh, he can produce at the next level. He does have that early breakout, um, you know, I didn't like that he stuck around for his senior year at Michigan, but, you know, then he ended up, you know, opting out anyway because of COVID. So uh, there's a lot to like about his profile with his uh, size and speed combination. Yeah, I think uh, he's probably the best wide receiver in Houston after Brandon Cooks, but who's playing quarterback, you know? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's the big question. We'll see. I mean, look, situations change. Um, we... I think right now, especially with the kind of ambiguity in Houston, I think it kind of behooves us to just draft Nico Collins in the range that we think he shakes out as a prospect and then hope that the situation gets better in Houston. That would be my recommendation. Uh, let's move on. Keep moving here. Anthony Schwartz from Auburn was the next guy to go to the Cleveland Browns at pick 91 in the third round. Trey talked about Schwartz a little bit last week. This is a guy that's super fast. He's probably going to help on special teams. It's a really crowded receiver room. John, give us a, a, a sentence or two on Anthony Schwartz, and then we'll move on. Uh, he's fast. Maybe he'll be fast in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, he needs... Uh... I think he needs Odo Beckham Jr. or uh, Landry to leave uh, for him to really see a path to fantasy production. He, he's going to be limited by the opportunity there because this is a run first offense, you know, uh, so they are not going to be slinging the ball around enough for him to probably be relevant in year one. But there's some good upside there with that speed for sure. Yeah, another third, maybe even fourth round dart throw for you there. All right, that was all of... Uh, round one and round two. There's a couple guys that we need to get to before we close out the show. And that's just kind of day three notables here. Uh, and the first one is it's gotta be Amon Ross St. Brown who went to the Detroit lions in round four, pick 112 overall. Now this isn't amazing draft capital, but it's not horrible. It's early in round four. And there is a glutton of opportunity there in Detroit. So Trey, uh, what do you think about Amon Ross St. Brown? Where are you drafting him in rookie drafts? Receivers who have been drafted in the fourth round since 2001, only two out of 77 in that entire group of receivers has produced top 12 uh, fantasy production. Oh, so, no. 
the odds are stacked against him because that is uh, less than 3%. So, I mean, it, the upside here is basically nothing. Uh, but again, he's coming into great opportunity with, you know, nobody else to compete for targets in Detroit besides DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkinson. So I think he's immediately the the best receiver on that team. Maybe he's the the number two to Brashad Perriman. Uh, I liked him as a prospect. You know, he he is an early declare. He broke out at age 18. Uh, he hit that 33% college dominator, but the fourth round dra- draft capital cannot be ignored. Um, I definitely do not trade up to get him, but if he falls to you in the second round, at the end of the second, beginning of the third, then uh, I, I'd say it's worth a dart throw for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. He's going to get the volume. He has to. He's going to be probably the best wide receiver on the team, so... Worth the dart throw in the second round. You're going, uh, you're 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 counting on the volume there, and you hope that you can play him in the flex. It's a it's a case study between him and Kadarius Tony, mm. right? Because they're going to be these late round guys uh, for different reasons, very different reasons, you know. Um, and I think you can probably approach them the same, where you just draft them and hope they produce, and then sell them the moment they have that one or those one or two big games. Indeed, yeah, that's a good point. I, I think you could do that. I am personally struggling with uh, where to rank Amon Ray St. Brown versus Kadarius Tony. So uh, more to come on that in kind of future rankings conversations. But the next guy I wanted to bring up here was another guy that was picked in round four, but all the way at pick 131. And that was my guy, my heart, Tylen, Tylenol Jones Wallace out of Oklahoma State. And he went to the Baltimore Ravens there. So they picked Rashad Bateman in the first round and they came back and got another receiver in the fourth round. Um, Look, I have Tylen Wallace in my rankings at rookie number 25 in one QB league. So I'm taking him at 301. You know, I'm taking the shot on him over uh, some of these running backs like Chuba Hubbard um, and Elijah Mitchell over Anthony Schwartz and Dwayne Eskridge guys that got higher draft capital. And maybe that's a little bit of take lock. Um, I kind of just think that receivers who are good at playing receiver will earn targets. And despite the Ravens not being a situation that we like a whole lot for volume, I've said it a couple times this episode, situations change. Um, so I'll take a swing on him there in the early third, maybe even the late second, and just hope within a couple of years, Tylen Wallace shows that he is a good receiver that deserves some targets. I don't know. What do you guys think? I'm out. He, he <laughs> fell so much for me, uh, dropping to round four. I mean, this was a guy I had up in that same tier as Amon Ra, St. Brown and Deami Brown. It would have been great to get him at the beginning of the second, but I have him below Eskridge. I have him below Atwell now. I would I would rather go for those guys who got that day two capital, who are going to get good uh, you know, opportunities. He is going to get buried in Baltimore. Uh, but you know, the one thing this does tell me is that Baltimore really does not believe in what they have at receiver right now. So I think if Mitch isn't here to defend Hollywood Brown, so I can uh I could say this, but uh, yeah, I think this kind of tells you that they recognize Hollywood Brown isn't the answer and that none of the other guys in that room are the answer either. So um, at least we get do get that message from Baltimore. And, and that, I think, gives a little bit of credence to what Tarek was saying, where, you know, he is a talented guy. He was held back by injuries. Um, you know, he could command some target share down the road. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Big maybe. <laughs> maybe. 
big maybe. I mean, that that late round four capital is a killer. Um, and the final guy I just want to mention here uh, is Cornell Powell out of Clemson. And literally the only reason I'm mentioning him, and it's a little bit of a cop-out, but when the Kansas City Chiefs strike on a weapon, you kind of got to take notice. So the Chiefs took him in round five at pick 181. This is a guy from Clemson, decent senior year of above 800 yards after being buried his first few years on the depth chart. Not super great at any one thing. Are, are you guys taking a shot at Cornell Powell anywhere in your rookie drafts? Uh, only if I need an extra special teams player. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather have Tylen Wallace. Okay. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, well, uh, this was a little bit of uh, a long haul, a long game, if you will, uh, a slog. So uh, this is going to be a little bit of a long episode, but hey, we just had the NFL draft. So you'll forgive us if we just want to kind of wax poetic for, you know, an hour and 20 minutes. You can't stop us. Yeah, you can't stop us. All 50 of you that are listening to this cannot (laughs) stop us. All right. Uh, So we hope you enjoyed us kind of recapping the receiver's. Next week, we're going to get into the rest of the positions. We're going to talk about running backs in the first half, and then we're going to hit those quarterbacks and tight ends really quickly in the second half of next week. So that does it for episode six of the Long Game Dynasty podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Later, John and Trey. And Mitch, we miss you. We'll see you next week, man. Miss you, Mitch. Feel better. Peace.